Let's pray. Lord, as we undertake to look again at the covenant under which you're calling us together as a people, open our hearts, I pray. Make me a fit instrument in your hand and grant, I pray, that we would be docile before your truth. Fill us now with your spirit and make us welcome spiritual things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to begin this morning by relating what we've been doing in studying the church covenant to the wider American culture. But let me sum up before I do that. What we've been doing now for the past two weeks in talking about the church covenant is trying to show that local churches like ours, congregational kinds of churches, come into being and get their meaning from making a covenant together to be the church to each other, a covenant which is rooted in God's new covenant with us. And so when God speaks this covenant, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. So when God makes a divine covenant, it creates a human community. They will be my people. And the nature, the character, the shape of that covenant community derives from the covenant that God has made with them. So the vertical covenant with God establishes and defines and shapes the horizontal covenant that we make with each other. And up till now, the whole focus has been on how that covenant that we are making and have made with each other derives from God, relates to God, comes from God, is shaped by God. Now, what I want to do for a minute here is relate it to the wider American scene. I don't know if you feel this or or if you sense it in any way, but what we're doing here in talking about covenanting with one another, being a covenant people is very countercultural in America. It's upstream. It's against the current. Robert Bella, many of you have heard the name probably, or more of you have heard the name of the book, professor of sociology at uh, University of California at Berkeley, wrote a very well-known and influential book called Habits of the Heart. And in it, He did a study of American individualism. And he warned that the loss of ideals like community, commitment, covenant will be the undoing of America. He took his starting point from a Frenchman named uh, Alexis de Tocqueville who came here 60 years ago, looked at the American scene and went home and wrote a book about us in which he said about Americans... Such folk owe no man anything and hardly expect anything from anybody. They form the habit of thinking of themselves in isolation and imagine that their whole destiny is in their own hands. Thus, not only does democracy make men forget their ancestors, but also clouds their view of their descendants and isolates them from their contemporaries. Each man is forever thrown back on himself alone, and there is danger that he may be shut up in the solitude of his own heart. Bella goes on to say he thinks that's more true today than it was 60 years ago, and he says, these are his words now describing the American scene, 
Individualism narrows our concern to our own immediate problems, often cutting us off from our past, our own past, as well as the history of our society. The languages of individualism, both the utilitarian individualism of Ben Franklin, disconnected from Christian faith or even objective moral reason, and the expressive individualism of Walt Whitman, whose famous poem begins, I celebrate myself and sing myself. Both of these kinds of individualism in America are impoverished vehicles of public discussion because they focus on immediate payoff or inner feelings. They do not help us think about the traditions that have formed us or about the larger problems of our society. The monoculture of the mass media is couched largely in utilitarian and expressive forms of individualism. It is oriented to our immediate wants, desires, emotions. Television, for example, is much more effective in transmitting powerful images and emotional reactions than in stimulating careful and rational discussion, end quote. Bella thinks that that development of utilitarian and expressive individualism is a tragedy and will be the undoing of America and is very dangerous, therefore. And it's not surprising that back in 1985, ten years before he wrote The Habits of the Heart, he wrote a book called The Broken Covenant. And that word covenant is very, very crucial and he thinks ought to be put closer to the front stage in American civic as well as church, individual, married, family, business, life. And he's not the only person thinking that community, covenant, commitment. Daniel Yankelevich, in a, in a book that the staff gave me for a gift back in 1981, I pulled it off the shelf recently and just looked at all their names back then. Daniel Yankelevich, another sociologist, concludes his book with the chapter called Toward an Ethic of Commitment in a World Where There Is No More Commitment. Commitment is gone. Covenant is gone. Community is gone. And so many people are recognizing the dangers of that and the anarchy on the horizon where every man does what is right in his own eyes that they are speaking out. But it's only a small group. The dominant thrust of American culture is individualistic and not communitarian at all. Now, my point in making the connection between what we're doing and calling it countercultural is not to justify this focus as a means of the salvation of America. Whether America is rescued or not from its slide to anarchy is not the main thing on God's agenda. The main thing on God's agenda is God. The glory of God is the main thing on God's agenda. Long after America is gone, if, if we go ahead and slide pell-mell into anarchy with every man and woman doing what is right in his or her own eyes, God will still be God. His plans will be on course. He will be the ruler of the nations. His people who worship his glory and not nationalism will be in place doing their thing where they belong long after America's off the scene. My point in making this connection between America 
individualism on the one hand and, and our focus on covenant on the other is not to justify what we're doing. God justifies what we're doing through the death of Jesus Christ forever, whether there's an America or not. My point is this. We need to wake up to the fact that what we're doing is counterculture. We need to be aware that we're swimming upstream against the tide when we as a congregation say, let's make a covenant. Let's be there for each other. Let's not just live for number one. Let's live for number two and one thousand and twelve hundred. Let's live our lives out for each other. Let's bind ourselves with promises and pledges and engagements and make some tough Deep, hard decisions not to live for number one. That's countercultural in America today. And we need to be aware of that. My second point is that this need for covenant relationships and stable community is so deep in the human heart that not just Christians, but even those who don't even know its origin, unbelievers, Atheists are recognizing it and calling attention to the need for it, lest we destroy ourselves in our selfishness. I want to turn to the text now as a biblical foundation for paragraph two in the church covenant. The church covenant is printed again on the back side of your worship folder. I won't go into a detailed exposition of paragraph two, but I hope that as we read it at the end, as I read it at the end, you will see that what I'm about to say from 1 Thessalonians is a foundation, a biblical God-centered foundation for why we say what we say in that paragraph especially. I have three points from this text. The first one is this. The central requirement of love in the New Covenant community is both a gift and a command. The central requirement of love in the new covenant community called Bethlehem here is a gift and a command. Now, let me show you that from the text. Verse 12 of chapter 3, Paul is praying in the form of a benediction and he says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men. Now, love originates in this covenant community, in God's covenant with us. God shows covenant love toward us in Jesus Christ. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And in that act of sacrifice and love, he draws us together and makes love the centerpiece of our covenant life together. But you remember the nature of the new covenant. The nature of the new covenant is, I will write my law on your heart. I will circumcise your heart so that you love the Lord your God. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And it's not surprising, therefore, that that's exactly the way Paul prays in verse 12. May the Lord cause you to increase in love. See, that's a new covenant prayer. Where'd Paul learn to pray like that? 
I've had people walk into this church and come to one of our staff members and say, I kind of like the worship, but what's this, what's this talk about God causing us to do things? I don't like that language. That's because they don't have a clue what the new covenant is about. The new covenant is about sovereign grace invading a rebellious, stony, dead heart Wakening from the dead, writing the law in the heart, circumcising the heart, and causing it to walk in God's statutes, God's holy statutes. And therefore, Paul, knowing that that's the essence of the new covenant, prays, Lord, you said you'd do it. You said you'd write it. You said you'd circumcise it. You said you'd cause it. Now cause it. Cause it. Make it. And that's the way I pray for you. And that's the way we ought to pray for each other. Lord, make us love each other. Do it to us. Don't leave us in our own will. Overcome our rebellion. Strive with us. Make us what we ought to be. So my first half of the first point is the requirement of love is a gift. It's the sovereign work of God. The second half of the first point is it's a command. Now we keep reading. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort, notice that word, exhort you in the Lord Jesus, not merely pray for you. He's moving beyond prayer now to exhortation that as you receive from us the instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually walk, namely, love each other, that you may excel still more. So I'm exhorting you to excel, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord. Okay? So we've moved from, Lord, cause them to love one another, to, Lord, I exhort them. I exhort you. Obey the commandment to love. This is the first and great commandment, that you love each other. Love the Lord your God and then each other as yourself. That's a commandment. So my first point is this. The requirement of love in the covenant community is a gift and a command. And if you want to understand how the gift and the command relate to each other, you go to Philippians chapter 2 and you listen to Paul say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's the command. For it is God who is at work in you. To will and to do his good pleasure. There's the gift. We obey the command in the power of the gift. And there's the essence of the new community and the new covenant. That's point number one. Point number two. Love is the essence of holiness. God wrought love is the essence of holiness. The new covenant people are to be holy, for God is holy, the Bible says. And our church covenant here in paragraph two says, strive for the advancement of the church in holiness. What is holiness? My point is, it is love. Now, that's right here in this text. You can see it in verse 12 in its logical connection with verse 13. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love. 
for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you, so that, now notice that connection, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. Get the connection? Paul looks up to God and he says, you have called upon us to be a holy people. But you also have called us into a new covenant, not the old covenant where holiness was written on stone and pushed against us, rebellion. But rather, it's a new covenant and you told us you'd come write it on our hearts. You'd circumcise the unholiness right out of us. You'd put your Holy Spirit within us and make us to walk. Now, Lord, cause us to walk in love that we might be holy. You get the connection? Holiness is love. Otherwise, that logical connection makes no sense. May they increase and abound in love so that you might establish them unblameable in holiness. Because love is the essence of holiness. Love towards God and love towards people is the sum of holiness. And it is a gift and it is a command. That's the second point. Love is the essence of holiness. Now, here's my third and final point. The New Covenant community in this fallen world is not a perfect community, not a completed community, but a community growing and advancing toward perfection. We're not a completed community. I want to dispel any notion that as we read the pledge, as we take this covenant upon ourselves in a couple of weeks in a solemn service of communion reaffirmation of covenant, I want to dispel any notion that we are saying we're perfect or we've arrived or we're complete because we've got a covenant. You'll notice the key verbs in here to to strive for advancement and to promote. Now, let me show you in the text why that's so crucial. Verse 12 again of chapter 3. May the Lord cause you to increase. That's the key word. Increase and abound in love. If our love were perfect, I don't think Paul would pray. If I was, if I had arrived at the fullness of love, if I had all the love that I could have, if I were at the end of the road and my cup were overflowing with love to all people and all kinds and God, he wouldn't say, God help Piper increase. He wouldn't say that. And therefore I conclude from the word increase, we are a people in process. We are a people on a pilgrim journey. We're a pilgrim people on the way to perfection. And it will come, I believe, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet when we will be transformed and this mortality will put on immortality and all my imperfections will be consumed in a moment. And the process in which we have been walking and growing and increasing will take its final leap and step into perfection forever and ever. So we're a imperfect covenant people. 
We're an on-the-way covenant people. We're a, a covenant people in process. And when you read further down in paragraphs 3 and 4, that's why there will be special provisions for handling each other's sins in the covenant community. No assumption that there won't be any in the covenant community. All of this now, these three points, love is a gift and command, love is the essence of holiness, and we are an imperfect people on the way. Those three things are the foundation, I believe, of paragraph two here, and really the foundation of all of our church covenant. In a sense, the main thing the church covenant is saying is the main thing the Bible is saying, namely love God and then love each other. And the rest of it is all exposition and unfolding after that. And our commitment of love is not a static one. It's one in which we're growing and increasing, falling, standing up, moving ahead, and keeping each other on course. You know, that great great text at the end of the book of James is so crucial to the covenant community. Anyone who, who detects or finds a brother drifting away into sin, he who rescues him back from sin will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's happening all the time in the covenant community at the edges. People beginning to move out of the covenant, beginning to fail in their covenant commitments, beginning to fall and move away. And our job is not to throw stones at those people. Our job is to move with love, to grab and hold and plead and yearn and draw, lest they make shipwreck of their faith and forsake their covenant vows and Christ. Let me close by reading this uh, paragraph and then we'll pray and the men will sing one more time. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you see there built in how the engagement of our will is the gift of God's Spirit? We engage. Don't become a quietistic, passivistic people. Because you believe in the sovereignty of God. Don't let Satan make hash out of the sovereignty of God in your heart. Say, well, if God is sovereign, I don't have to do anything. It's a mockery of the sovereignty of God. It has always been known to be that in the Reformed tradition. We engage. And then humbly, by and only by the aid of the Holy Spirit. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement. There it is. There's the pilgrim process. The advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness and comfort. To promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all the nations. So I hope that you will already be giving yourself to pray like Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Let that benedictory prayer be a model for you for the rest of these weeks on our covenant. May you say with me, And even as we close, we'll pray this way. Lord, make us abound in love. And then not only will we be faithful to our covenant commitments to God in the new covenant through faith, we will also be faithful to one another in love and holiness, and 
we will be faithful in our testimony to a world desperately in need to see and experience a life of covenant and not mere individualism. Let's pray as the men come. Oh, Lord God, I pray now that you would bring your spirit to bear upon us as we close in song. I pray, Father, that you will fill your people now with the spirit of holiness and the spirit of love. I pray in the way that Paul prayed, Lord, in a kind of benedictory way over your people. May the Lord cause you to abound and increase in love to one another and to all men so that you may be found blameless and spotless at the day of Christ. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would move your people to pray concerning our reaffirmation of covenant life together. Clarify these things for us, I pray, and let us be a shining light to the world who needs us so badly to demonstrate for them what covenant and community and love and commitment can really be in Jesus' name. I pray.